0: Colossians chapter 3, we're going to finish up chapter 3 and begin just one verse into chapter 4 today, and uh, so it's in chapter 3, and so Paul has been, and we're almost, we're winding down, next week we'll finish up our study through the book of Colossians and cover the rest of chapter 4 next week. Um, but today, just Paul, I want you to see Paul's line of thinking as he's been writing uh, this book. And as we looked into it, he sets a high standard. He says, here is who Christ is. He is supreme. He's above all. He's great. He is preeminent. He is to have first place in our lives. We're to pursue him above all else. And so he sets him up as saying, here, who, here's who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. Yes, but also, he's the creator of all things, and he's the sustainer of all things. He's this great God. And then he transitions into chapter 3 and saying, hey, here's what the life of the believer looks like. And what, he was, what we've been saying, one of our main points has been, is this, be who you are. Meaning not like, hey, who I want to be, be, who, be that person. No, as a follower of Jesus in Christ be these things. Don't do these things to get God to love you, to accept you, to, um, to show favor on you. You know, you, he's saying be who you are. Put off sinful desires and put on kindness, holiness, righteousness, um, and be putting these things to death. And then last week we transitioned and looking at what does that look like? This Christian, this followers of Jesus look like in the home as wives and husbands and children interact um, together in the family. We looked at that starting in verse 18. And Paul's line of thinking really continues into the passage we're going to look at today in verse uh, verse 22. And so this is the shift, though, is is what I want us to see is this. He's really continuing the conversation of the home. But obviously, as we're going to see in our passage, this is not the case today. Um, And I want us to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about it. But look at verse 22, so Paul's continuing this, he talks about fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, and then verse 22, bond servants, or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now I understand as we look at this passage I mean, it's talking about slaves and how they are to interact with their masters, and how masters are to treat their uh, bondservants. And you go like, what? <laughs> "We don't." Uh, slavery was abolished years and years ago. And why? Why do we? Why is this apply? Or people would even say like, "Is Paul? Is Paul condoning um, slavery in this passage?" Let, let me let me give you a little bit of what historians estimated at this time. So Paul writing this in the first century. Um, uh, So, you know, we're talking about all the way back about 2,000 years ago when he writes this book. Historians estimated that the Roman Empire consisted of about 60 million slaves at the time. I mean, think how vast that is. The Roman Empire, as it's expanding, what that was estimated to be is about a third to a half of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves to some degree. I mean, so Paul, in writing to this, this was the reality of the day. Countries would overtake another country, and those people would become their slaves. The the, the culture of the day, slavery was very much normalized in this culture. A Roman lawyer, listen to what a Roman lawyer said, that it is, he said this, that it is universally accepted that the master possesses the power of life over death, uh, for the slave and death for the slave. If a slave ran away, um, it was said that this lawyer continues, he could be killed with no trial or he would be branded on the forehead with the letter F for, um, uh, in the Greek for fugitive. I mean, this master had full authority. Without a trial, he could have them killed if they tried to run away. And actually, what we know, the reason this is even addressed in this book is, is, um, is Philemon, which is another, another book in the Bible that was written as well, that was written to Philemon. He was the owner of a slave, and he had a runaway slave. And Paul writes to, uh, uh, about Onesimus, this slave who had um, run away, and he was telling him, how to accept him back versus what the Romans would have done is kill him and to, uh, and to brand him as a fugitive. He tells them to accept him as, a. notice this, he says it to him this way in Philemon, as a brother in Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says there's not neither slave nor free, man or woman, Jew or Gentile, but everyone is in Christ. We see that in our passage in verse 11 of chapter 3. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now you have to imagine this. Imagine this just for a second. So here the the church is gathered in Colossae. So you have all these people, they're gathered together, and maybe the, the slaves and the servants are probably hanging out in the back kind of left out a little bit, they're in the back somewhere, and in that area, they start to hear this letter written, and the letter's being written, and they're hearing these things Paul's saying about, there's, there's um, you know, put off and put on, and then they maybe hear this phrase in verse 11 of like, hey, there's, there's neither slave nor free but Christ is all and in all and maybe that perked their interest for a second and then here they hear they're addressed they're in the back they're maybe sort of paying attention maybe not and then all of a sudden Paul says bond servants and they're like whoa he's talking directly to me and then he tells them this phrase he says obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord and maybe in their heart they're going like but do you know how evil and how painful it is to be a, a slave for this person? Like, like, do you know how harshly maybe they treat me? Paul, Like, I'm sure they want to receive that with ne- maybe negativity, potentially, depending on who was their master. Um, I read uh, also in a commentary, one of the commentaries talking about this, and I wanted to make sure I said this as well, is, um, he said this, I just want to give him the full quote, he says, the brutal inhumanity of that sinful system was exacerbated by the fact that it was bound to deep-rooted racism. Obviously, that's what we see today, is, is seeing that that m- most of the slavery that we hear and that we hear about is, is rooted in racism and the idea of taking a race, especially when uh, the British Empire was expanding and the slave trade and all of those things, when they were taking people from Africa and elsewhere and bringing them to be their slaves specifically. And it was very much viewed as they weren't, they were tools, um, they were tools instead of humans. That's how a slave was viewed. It was literally a tool to be discarded with if it was of no value anymore. If he had lost his strength If he had become too weak, just discard it like an old tool. There's no need for it anymore. This is how they viewed people. And we may be so far removed from slavery that we don't get it. But you know what? It is estimated that all over the world, there are over 40 million people who live as slaves. And you might be like, really? Still? Today? Well, I can tell you, I met one. And I think I've told you a little bit about that before. But I remember, and it was a boy. It was this little probably 10, 12-year-old boy, and I remember his name was Lily. and I went to, it was in Haiti. I was on a mission trip there, and I was staying in this home, I'm staying in this home. We didn't really know the person. They just, they had a, a nicer house and could accommodate us while we were there working with orphans and trying to identify because we had an orphanage there that we were trying to identify and meet with, all these, and, and figure out their identity, figure out who they are, to get as much information so that we could get them sponsored uh, and into an orphanage. And We ran across this boy one day. We were walking on the road, and he was carrying this huge, huge plate, and it had all this stuff from the field, all this, like, fruit and and different vegetables and stuff from this field. And I I met this boy along the road, and we started interviewing him and asking him questions, who he was, and got to know him a little bit. I looked at his hands, and his hands were just, like, I mean, they were rough and hard. Way harder than mine are currently. I'm like, I got this little cut here, and it hurts a little bit. And I'm like, this guy, his hands... His hands were—I mean, he's this boy, and I'm talking to him and finding out that he—that he lives with this woman, that his parents had abandoned him, and that he was living with this woman in this town. But this woman had adopted him as his, her son. She was treating him as if she was a slave. Come to find out, I'm staying in this woman's home. I'm staying in this woman's home. This boy comes and I see him. I'm like, wait, there he is. And he starts serving us. And I was just broken. I'm like, you—I know, don't need to be served by you. And I remember I tried to give him his my pillow. I had this pillow, and I found out he didn't have a pillow to sleep with and that kind of stuff. I started just giving him stuff, and then I would wake up the next day, and I'm like, hey, where's your stuff? And he's like, I don't know. The lady took it. And, like, he was so mistreated. And you're, and you're like, this seems so distant from us that we don't see it because we live in America. But think about all of us Americans and all the things, you know, our iPhones and all these things that we have. Guess how we get a lot of these things? We get it from, if not slavery, we get it from very forced, cheap labor. A lot of the things we have in China and others, I mean, we, we hear about the know—the um, uh, Muslim group, this specific race in China, and how they're put in these camps, and they're trying to convert them and, get the, and to brainwash them and get them out of this. I mean, they're mistreated. We think of this, as, this is a global problem. But here's the crazy thing is Paul, is Paul is addressing this issue, and I think people can tend to say, well, Paul, is he condoning slavery? is Paul condoning slavery in this passage, and, and by no means is he condoning it. What he was doing was dealing with the natural thing that was present in the day, that 60 million slaves are in these, ch- and in these churches, as churches, and the Christianity is, is forming, and as it's moving, there's church after church, and guess what? There's people who are masters, and they're slaves in these homes, and they're in the Roman Empire. It's very normalized, and so he addresses it. And so for us, it's like, well, what's the application? Obviously, the closest thing for us, and it's not really, it's, in a sense, it's not that close, but I think we all can agree, you're either probably in a, in a workplace, either an employee or you're an employer, or either you're a supervisor, maybe you supervise people. Maybe you're not the, it's not your business, but maybe you have a supervisor type of role where you oversee people and people work for you or under you. Or maybe you work for a company, maybe you're just an employee of, accompany. This, the principles of this passage and what Paul is teaching directly applies uh, to us in that way, and that's how we're going to look at it today. So if you have some notes here, I just want to walk through this um, kind of quickly, but obviously, I want to state the obvious, but just make sure it's out there. Scripture is very clear that mistreatment of people of any kind is ungodly and unacceptable. Whether this is our president that you may agree or disagree with, or whether it is a lawmaker who makes a law, um, and that we don't like, or those kind of things. Obviously, mistreatment of people of any kind is ungodly and unacceptable. We can disagree with someone, but we don't have to hate them. We can love them, just as Christ tells us exactly to do. And so the closest for us is the employment aspect, and I want us to look at this. And so your first, our first point that we're going to see is this, is and Paul's directly saying this, is work hard, especially when no one is looking. He says this, work hard, especially, and I think we need to hear this, is work especially hard when no one is looking. Look at what Paul says in verse 22. He says, bond servants, obey, and I mean, this is a strong statement, I mean, a really strong statement. He says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. What Paul is saying is, he's saying, we're to work hard, especially when, and not for eye service. Now, how many of you, I mean, we all, I think there's different times we've all experienced this, right? Whether you're a kid in the home and your mom walks in the room and you're like, Oh, I was cleaning up when she told you to go clean your room and you were laying on the bed. And then it's like, oh, I was making my bed, Mom. I was, I was making it, right? Um, or whether it's in the workplace. I remember when I was in high school, played baseball, and our baseball coach would give us pole-to-poles to run. So we'd run from one foul pole to the X. And he would consider this, not one. He would consider there and back one. And he'd give us, like, ten pole-to-poles at the end of practice. So we finished practice and run. And everyone, you know, it's like when coach is watching, you're, like, running hard, and then when coaches' backs turned, you know, you'd see some people, like, about center field. They're like, <laughs> turn, and like, all right, number one. <laughs> and, and, like, I, I mean, I totally did it, too. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and so, like, but, like, when he was looking, you know, you're working hard. When, he, when the boss shows up, I mean, I've heard stories, right? I remember, I remember when I was... Um, when I was working for an air conditioning company, I was like 15 years old, and we were uh, working on these air conditioners, and we'd get, I'd gotten the van with this one guy, and, and everything's like that, and if like ever like a supervisor showed up on the job, everybody's like, everybody's on their uh, P's and Q's, everyone's working hard, and then when that truck leaves, it's like, all right, everyone's all of a sudden gets a lot slower, and you're like, this, this is exactly what people do. They want to, in front of the boss or in front of people, they're going to do the right thing, but not necessarily when he's looking. You're only doing good, or you're working hard for the, the to, to be pleased by man, or to get approval by man, or maybe get a promotion. Paul's saying, no, what to the slaves saying, and this is what I want you to hear. I want to make sure I get this across. He is directly talking to bond servants and slaves, and I know you might be like, man, I have a terrible boss, right, or I've, I've experienced where frustration of, of a boss who just He doesn't exemplify godly principles, and yet he's so harsh, and he never is satisfied with my work. And so you might think, man, I'm so mistreated. Remember, Paul was writing to slaves. They didn't really have a choice. And Paul says, obey in everything, your earthly masters. And notice what he continues. He says, not by way of eye service, you know, to be noticed, to be accepted, to be a, a people pleaser, as he says here, but with sincerity, with an enthusiasm, with a drive to do your best. And this is our, our next point is this, is we're to work enthusiastically for the Lord and not just to please people. We do this, we're not just to, we don't do this just to please people. We work enthusiastically for the Lord and not just to please people. It's a, there's our tendency for us to want to please people. To, to, to make sure that the boss gets noticed. I remember, again, going back to you when know, I was in college and I was on the baseball team. Uh, I was trying to not take on debt and take on loans, and I was trying to help my parents as much as possible. And so I would work and, and, and different things during there. And I remember my, my junior year, of college, my baseball coach was also like the dean of of men or something like that, or the the dormer. I can't remember his title, but anyways, he was the one who would hire um, like RAs, like people to be like over, to oversee a hall, and it was a paid position, but it was like, it wasn't like I had like direct hours, like I had to give up a weekend to stay on campus, and I had had to be the bad guy and check on people's dorms, make sure they were clean and all that kind of stuff. And so I just was always on my, I was on my best behavior in front of that coach because I'm like, I'm trying to win over to hopefully get him to hire me for that position. And so I remember, I mean, I sucked up. I did everything I could to get him to accept me. And thankfully he did. Um, But I, I, I mean, I did it all because I was doing those things, not because I, I mean, I didn't want him to just naturally see like, hey, look, I stand out above the rest, hire me. No, I, I was directly knowing what I was doing. I was trying to please him to hopefully get this position. And it is so easy for us to not work for the Lord, but to work for the promotion or to work hard for the wrong reasons. And there's a lot of wrong reasons uh, that we do these things. Um, There's a lot of reasons why we we go about working the way we do. Uh, One is this. And I want to I want to warn you on this one is a couple kind of takeaways from this section here is this is don't expect material blessing. Don't ex- don't expect material blessing, because here's here's what happens is this. You can work hard and work enthusiastically for the Lord and not just to please people. But here's what you can do is you can also work expecting God to bless you. It's like, God, I mean, I'm working hard. Why am I not getting the raise? Why am I not getting the promotion? Why am I not having the life like my neighbor has or my, uh, another coworker? And it's so easy for us. To expect. You know one of the words that Paul uses a lot in his his writings? He uses the word thankful, gratitude. He says, he's reminding the churches always, like, be thankful, be, um, be grateful for what you do have. Because here's our tendency, and our heart is to expect. And usually there's that tendency to expect more. And because you're working hard and doing your best for the Lord, your boss may notice and he may not. You know, one of the hardest things to do, right, if you've probably experienced this at some point maybe uh, in your life, is when the person you know that cuts corners, the one who is doing the work to please the boss, but when the boss is gone, is lazy or will make fun of or comment negatively on the boss. And then what happens? He gets the promotion or she gets the promotion. And you're like, I'm doing the right thing. I mean, I remember I've experienced that just not too long ago, really, just several years ago. I remember thinking like, man, I I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm 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 accurate with my numbers. I'm accurate with what things that I'm doing. I'm being trying to be honest with my time and how I spend my time and all those things. But then yet I know of another person who's not honest with their time, who cuts corners. And yet they get the limelight. They get the praise from the boss. I think we've all can kind of experience that. And here's the thing is just because you do these things, just because you are honest, just because you're doing the right thing and you're obeying and everything, don't expect material blessing. And here's the I think another takeaway on this aspect of working enthusiastically is this is avoid. But here's the other. The other piece is this avoid becoming a workaholic, avoid becoming a workaholic. But the Bible teaches that we are, as he says in this passage, he says, work heartily. I mean, That's with enthusiasm, that's that aspect of enthusiasm. And you're to work hard, you're to, to do these things, you're to obey in everything. And you do this for the Lord and not for men. You don't do it to be pleased or accepted by people. But here's the, here's the, here's the, you get it, there's a balance in everything, right? There's a tendency to, to be lazy in our work. Or there's the tendency to overwork. And and there's got to be a shut off sometimes. Right. And it's and it is. I get it. It is difficult sometimes. But the Bible also teaches rest and also teaches what are the more important things. And here's a couple. It's not in your notes, but here's a couple things on this is is in ways to check kind of thing. Check your heart. For instance, are you working hard uh, to only please people? Are you working hard because you have that? It's like a sense of worth right? A self-worth. You want to be praised by a boss or you want your spouse or someone else or a friend to notice, man, I'm a hard worker and so you can, you can check your heart on this. Am I working hard only to please people? Another is this. Am I working hard uh, to have more things? Am I just working hard so I can have more stuff? Materialism. Again, check your heart. Look at your heart. Is, am I, is the reason I'm working so hard is just so I can have more things or to keep up with the Joneses? And another one I think is this, and this is a point I just want to belabor just for a second, is this. Are you only working for the weekends? It's like, you just work because it's like, I'm supposed to work, I gotta work. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna work through this job to get, I can't wait to get to the weekend. Can't get to wait to get to the weekend. Can't wait to get to the weekend. Can I just say one quick note on this? Scripture tells us very clearly in Genesis, God created man to work. And it was before the fall, before sin came in the world, God created work. God has given you work. If you've ever talked to someone who, because of maybe an injury or uh, because of something that happened, or even in retirement, like, yes, they might enjoy their retirement, but they they miss that work aspect, that drive, because that's natural. It's natural to have a work ethic. We're not meant to be lazy and just to sit around. God gives us these drives. He's given us work. And we're to do it not just to just, hey, I'm just paying the bills and helping us maybe every once in a while have a good, a good getaway on the weekend. No, he's given us work to do, to drive. It's something. And, and here's the question is, how can you use what God has given you, the talent, the ability, the work, the place, the environment, how can you use that for his glory? How can you work hard and be a witness in the community and in the people that you work with? I think even on this point of big over uh, avoid becoming a workaholic even goes back to the gospels with Mary and Martha. It's interesting how in that story of Mary and Martha, Martha was so stressed out about having everything work. She's working, she's working hard, getting the home just right because Jesus is coming over to their house to visit, and she's working really hard. And Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet, worshiping him, learning from him. And then what does Jesus say to this issue? Because because uh, Jesus, Martha gets upset and she's like, "Jesus, can you tell Mary to come and help me in the kitchen?" Basically. And he tells her, and he ultimately tells her, Martha, Martha, you're worried about and anxious about all these things. But Mary has chosen the greater. He, she chose worship of Jesus. Now, obviously, is there a season where we work? Absolutely. Like in our, in our culture, most people work about five days a, a week, about 40 hours or so. But yes, but still, we're also created for rest, for worship. And we even, you can use your work as worship. You work heartily as unto the Lord and not for men. We do it to worship our God. And then another point, our final point is this. As a follower of Jesus, seek to be the best employee. Seek to be the best. Sadly, this isn't the case. Uh, I was talking to someone even just recently, just a couple weeks ago, who was lamenting that the opposite, they noticed that the opposite was often the case that these professing Christians uh, not really having a hard work ethic. I mean, how tragic to know that there's lost people that you work with, people who are far from God, and they may know that you go to church on these weekends or you talk about God every once in a while, and then they're watching you be lazy or half-done effort, not full effort. And then to look on that and be like, what kind of witness is that? I mean, as a follower of Jesus, we should seek to be the best employees. We should be working hard as for the Lord. We have to be careful, our heart, and all those things that we're talking about, but we do it with a heart attitude that's directed towards God. Here's the point you're working for the Lord. Notice that's the motivation. He says it right here. He says, as for the Lord and not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Can I just stop there for a second, too? Because in our, in our culture, we hear about inheritance. We hear those kind of things. But can you imagine? Who's the context? Here they are. The slaves are sitting in the back. Maybe they're kind of Maybe goofing off, or maybe they're sitting there listening, and the and the letters being written from Paul to the church, and Paul's writing, and he says these words. You're and they're like, okay, I got to obey my master in everything. I'm not. I'm got to do this with eye service, even when he's not looking. I got to work hard in all these things, and whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. But then he says these words, and these are slaves in the audience who have no inheritance. They get nothing. They have absolutely nothing. And then here Paul says these words, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. They're like, I can receive an inheritance. I, I just I, I pictured that this week as I was studying and reading this passage. Was like, here are these slaves sitting in this audience hearing this, and they're like, I mean, they're only ever told, you're nothing, you're worthless. You're just as I think it was Aristotle who said, like, you're just a tool. And here he says, No. You're an actual person, valued and noticed by God, and God has an inheritance for you. You see, we do these things, because here's what he says, and notice this right here, you are serving the Lord Christ. So whether you feel like you're pushing papers, digging ditches, working at a school, teaching kids, or whether you're at home as a as a a homemaker, working with children who are snotty-nosed and constantly complaining and wondering when their sandwich is coming and all those kind of things. Notice this, when you're feeding your children, whether you're answering the phones all day or whether you're working with your hands, here's what he's saying. You are serving the Lord Christ. As a follower of Jesus, we should seek to be the best employees because we're seeking to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord in your work. Put him first. So as you go to serve that patient, so whether you're working at, at, a, at a hospital or whether you're teaching kids or whether you're working with accountants, which seems like it's half the room, you know, and you're, and you're doing another audit or whatever, you're, you're serving the Lord in this, so you're going to give your best effort. You, again, you're not doing this to be accepted by God so that God will show favor and he's going to bless you. No, you do it because you love Christ. And he says, I'm, I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do all these things. And then just one quick note, I want to I point on this as well. And this is the, the other point I have here is this. is from the employer standpoint, or if you're a supervisor of people, if you oversee people, if you deal with people under you, whether it's uh, low-level management or high-level management, whatever that is, here's what Paul says, and he's talking to masters specifically. But again, I think the application works in the, empl- in the employment uh, realm is this. He says, masters Treat your bondservants justly and fairly. So again, the the bondservants are sitting in in, in the church service. They hear this and they're going like, wait, I got to do all that. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, masters, and those people in the front row maybe or whatever, and they're like, wait, what? What did you just say? Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Knowing what? Knowing that you also have a master." You have an ESV Bible or something there, it's in all caps there. It's talking about Jesus, master in heaven. You see, seek. If you're an employer, seek and you oversee people. Seek to be just and fair with those you oversee. Be just, be fair. Be known to be a hard worker. May they see that in you, that you are a hard worker, that you're not just delegating everything so that you can be lazy, uh, so that you can just sit back. You know, and you're like, I've, I've, I've put my effort in to now be in this position. Now you're going to work hard like I used to. No, you set the tone, but also be just and be fair. Don't be known as a miser, someone who's not going to uh, who's going to withhold things or like is going to mistreat someone or just constantly give them menial task and just expect uh, all these things from them. Like, yes, we expect and we work hard. Things got to get done, but be just and fair. But as a follower of Jesus, you should not be just so focused on the bottom line that we mistreat people and use them for our own benefit. I mean, seek to be fair and just and be patient and gracious. But ultimately, and I want to ground this chapter back in verse 17. I want you to look at it one more time. He says this. Whatever you do, verse 17, chapter 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. There's that thanksgiving again. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, whatever you do, wherever you fit on the, on the totem pole of the workplace or whether, whether you're in the home as a homemaker, whether it's with wives and submitting to your own husbands or husbands loving your wives or children obeying your parents or even here as bond servants obeying in everything those who are your earthly masters or masters treating your bond service justly and fairly. Whatever you do and wherever God has placed you, you do that with everything. You do it all in the name of Christ. It is for His name's sake that you live. Listen, work hard. Put the effort in. Do that. Don't just live for the weekends. Don't just live to have and accumulate wealth just so that you can have wealth or maybe even just to pass it down. Like, how has God given you the talents and the abilities and the things that you have to use that for His glory? To make His name known. How can you do that? Maybe God has blessed you in a way that you can give and contribute in a way that maybe others can't. Or maybe God has given you a heart for children like we were talking about earlier with foster care or um, as an, an adoption. But maybe you're like, man, I don't there's no way I don't have the patience. I don't have the ability to do that. But maybe you have the financial means to help someone else to do that. Or maybe there's a way that you can take in for a season or you can support and help and bring help to families who are struggling. God gives us all these things and we're to do all these things. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's writing this to this church, but he also is saying it to us through God's inspiration of Scripture to tell us these are some of the things that we should be. Be the best employee not to be noticed and to get promotions or to have things, but be the best to be a light in the community with the gospel so that people can see the gospel displayed in your life and in my life. All right, let me pray as we close.